Touchdown Tampa Bay. You're listening to the PewterCast. Welcome to the PewterCast. I am Brent Allen, your host, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ren Daxt. Ren, how's it mm. going tonight, buddy? It's going well. How's it going with you, good friend? <laughs> uh, I, I am doing, Nobody knows why we're laughing. It's because we just had to redo this intro because I think I said the word good friend like 34 times. Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Had a... Uh, had a kid's t-ball game not t-ball uh sling pitch i guess game a uh, pitching machine game earlier tonight and man that was a rough game <laughs> you know people talk they, about huh? they actually play a baseball game where they just feed the ball into a pitching machine it's not even a pitching machine it's it's like uh it's it's on like a spring no yeah like it's on like a spring lever action oriented like it's an underhanded spring. pitch machine no 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 it i mean it flings it in there but it i mean it, it kind of throws like a knuckleball every time it, it throws you know it puts it in there for kids coming right off of the tee trying to learn how to hit a ball out of the air it's it's tough but uh, it, it was a little bit of a rough night. You know, when people talk about the idea that uh, the coaches can only do so much. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's up oh, yeah. to the players to actually swing the bat or to pick up the ball and throw it. Or, okay, let's go to football. To make the tackle or to <laughs> throw the ball, catch the ball, run their route. The coaches can only do so much. I'm feeling that particularly fresh tonight. I gotta tell you. All right. Are you are you referring to the Carson run? Because uh, I, you know, I watched uh, the replay of it, and I think that you know, Bo Allen mm-hmm. and uh, D- and Sue were sort of like uh, the hand mm-hmm. in the shower, and Carson was the soap, <laughs> and those two guys just like. I wasn't sure where you were going with that yeah, about yeah. the hand in the shower. Like, the hand in the shower. Whoa! Oh, hey! Family show here. Mark. Let's make a mark at the 32-second mark. Ren went off the rails. No, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, like yeah. They, they squished him and he just squirted forward. Yeah. Like he should have been caught for like a three-yard game. But anyway, you're not talking about that though. I'm assuming. No, well, no, <laughs> not specifically. But you know, our our guest for this week's show. Scott Reynolds of PewterReport.com did make mention of that during the course of our conversation. As always, we tend to record those conversations before we do this part of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, he he referenced the idea of, you know, coaches can only do so much. Um, But that was a good conversation, Ren. I I can't wait for the people to hear it. It was good, and it was long. Yes. Both of those can be true. And they were in this instance. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was uh, it's a good conversation. And he he uh, he was not afraid to uh, sort of go on tangents uh, mm-hmm. today. Like we like like five minutes of interview and we're talking about like, you know, quarterbacks and coaches from like five years ago mm-hmm. or like 10 years ago. So this not only is this a good interview and kind of uh, resets where the season is about the coaching staff and some of the players and and uh, a little recap of the Seattle game. Uh, but you also get a history lesson. Yeah. In, in this one. Yeah, um, I learned something about the team that, like, from a history perspective that I never knew. And uh, so our listeners are going to get, you know, they'll get to hear that. And I don't know, maybe you guys knew about it. I didn't know. Bryn, did you know about it? I did. Okay. Uh, but it's because I've heard the story from Scott before. Okay, okay. I, I might have just missed and it. If, and if you are a sort of a pewter fan, you know, like, 
and I'm, I'm not saying that if you're a Peter fan, you're worse than a Creamsicle fan. But if you've been with the team, you know, pre-Dungey, mm-hmm. you might have heard this story. If you're more of a Peter guy, like me, a Peter fan, yeah, yeah, that, that jumped That's a on fan during jump in around the ni- late '90s, <laughs> early 2000s. That it, Rara. Why'd you yeah. a Bucks fan? 2002. Oh, interesting. Which is almost <laughs> 20 years ago now. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. A, you should have seen how big of a Bulls fan I was in the late early nineties. Like right? Yeah, when they had Jordan. Yeah, right. I was a huge Bulls fan. But anyway, um, so if you're a Peter fan, you might not you might not know the story. Uh, and and definitely back then, like there was no social media, you know, no Facebook, no Twitter, uh, and you basically got your information from like either magazines or mm-hmm. uh, the newspaper. Yeah. And so, you know, or sports talk radio. And, uh, you know, I don't remember sort of that story getting out. So that was yeah. fun to hear and, and relive. But I had forgotten all about it, to be honest. Well, for anybody out there wondering, like, what the heck story are you guys talking about? Guys, listen, you're going to get to it here in just a few seconds. And it's actually one of the very first things that we talk about. But there's a whole list of other things to talk about. So we won't delay it any longer. And uh, let's get into it. Our talk today and our final thoughts episode here with Scott Reynolds of pewterreport.com and uh, after that um, a little bit later on we've got emails we've got we've got all sorts of stuff it's all our normal fanfare here over the course of the week so that's what we've got coming up this week on the Pewtercast. Friends, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you took that special someone out on a date? How expensive was it? The average date night these days costs around 115 bucks, and that doesn't even include babysitters for the kids if you need them. Now look, I don't care who you are, that's just plain expensive, especially if you're on a budget. Well, what if I told you that you could have an incredibly fun and unique date night for the next six weeks, or even six months, for around $30 a night? Well, you can with Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is the murder mystery box that immerses you in an ongoing experience in the comfort of your own home. With every box or episode, you'll dive deeper into the case, sift through the evidence and the case files, and you'll be running red string from pin to pin on a map until you crack the case and catch the killer. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know that I've been trying out Hunt a Killer this summer, and I have just caught my first killer. Well, not just me, my wife and me. And I gotta tell you guys, we loved this game. It was so much fun. Not only are we gonna be diving into the new series coming out really soon, but this time we're going to be doing it with friends. So I guess that means double dates for me for a while. Listen, guys, this is a great cost-effective way to spend time with friends and with loved ones working together and having a good time. Now, if that sounds like fun to you, I've got a special offer from Hunt a Killer. Just go to huntakiller.com and use the code PEWTERCAST for 20% off your first box. Again, make sure to use the code PEWTERCAST, that's all one word, for a 20% discount and to show your support for the PEWTERCAST. See if you have what it takes to hunt a killer. So, Scott questions about your blast fab five that you have coming out here and you kind of went through a couple of the different issues but uh, it came down to it where you feel like and and correct me if i'm wrong if i misread your your article you feel like arian's biggest mistake is not calling plays is that right yeah and i think it kind of goes hand in hand and not being uh cast at the hip with Jameis too because when bruce was the play caller whether it was in cleveland whether it was in uh, in Pittsburgh, Indianapolis for a year, or in Arizona with, with Carson Palmer, um, 
you know, he was in the room all the time with the quarterback. And, um, you know, I, I, I can appreciate his trust in his protege, Byron Lefwich. But at the same time, when you look at, at uh, what Bruce's strength is, it's the quarterback whisper. It's developing the young quarterbacks. It's, it's really getting um, the offense uh, you know, set and having a, a mindset and a mentality. And it just seems like, like um, some instances where it's kind of been hard to figure out the identity of, of this, this offense. I know they want to be balanced. Obviously, they, they feature you know, Godwin and, and Evans, and I think you're going to see Evans continue to thrive against man coverage, against teams that play man coverage like Seattle. No surprise, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Evans had a big day. When teams play zone against the Buccaneers, um, you know, the Rams played a pretty good deal of zone. Chris Godwin's going to fall off. That's just kind of how it is. But I, I just think that with this being such a critical year for James Winston and his franchise, deciding whether he is – going to earn a contract extension, going to get a franchise tag, going to move on. Uh, I, I just found it kind of curious that that he would take a little bit more of a hands-off approach this year. What I would have done is what I said in a Fab Five. Go ahead and, and come in, be the guy, implement your system, be the quarterback whisperer, and then turn it over to Leftwich next year after he's had a year shadowing you, mm-hmm. if you're Bruce Arians. And I think that would have made more sense. And I, I think you can look back and there's been some critical calls um, you know, on, on fourth downs, uh, third down situations that that have uh, in red zone, especially that that have really kind of plagued this team. And um, you know, I know that that Bruce has the veto power. At the same time, uh, he wants to delegate. He wants to trust and and delegate um, those responsibilities to Leftwich. And I think there's been some times where he's probably bitten his lip, um, and he's probably overturned him. But I just think that in year one. If I'm the Blazers, I put the foot down and say, listen, I, I really want you to be the play caller this year and work with Jameis uh, side by side and then turn it over to Byron next year. Scott, let me let me ask you about that just to dive in as you talk about the Glazers and them kind of putting their foot down. Um, one of the, you know, the Glazers are, are, they year after year after year get a lot of criticism from Bucks fans for not knowing much about football and, and not being good football people. They just kind of let, you know, they, they let people do their own thing and they don't know how to hire thing, hire football guys and they want to get a vice president of football operations and football, football, football. But one of the things you also hear from the coaches and from the GMs is, hey, the Glazers let the football people do the football thing. Uh, would this be like maybe an example of where the Glazers really could be a little bit more involved of going, no, 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 we want you to do it this way um, versus just a, okay, we'd like for you to do it that way, but well, I guess if that's what you want to do, we'll just let you do it that way. Like, does that make sense what I'm asking there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'd love for there to be, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's their team, right? So right. at the end of the day, uh, they should not be talked into what they want. And, and I think that there's, there's some times, and, and you really, you look back at, at 2002, but that's where Malcolm Glazier was the guy that was really, you know, uh, sailing the ship. And, uh, when, when, you know, they fired Dungy, very kind of unpopular. I shouldn't say unpopular. It was a, it was a controversial move. And, you know, they, they tasked Rich McKay, hey, go find us an offensive minded coach. And, uh, you know, who, who did they, who did Rich McKay serve up? Uh, Marvin Lewis. You know, <laughs> like, wait a minute. What part of, hey, we just fired an African American defensive minded head coach. Mm-hmm. And you're bringing us, 
a defensive-minded African-American head coach. So what? If we wanted the same guy, we would have kept Tony Dungy. Mm-hmm. So you didn't you didn't do what we asked you to do, and and so they they kneecapped him. They they sat rich on the sideline. Mm-hmm. If you remember, John Gruden wasn't uh, acquired in a trade until mid February. It was after yeah. the Pro Bowl, and um, but that was Malcolm really kind of calling the shots, and you know, and, and Rich had gone to Al Davis and, and tried to get. Um, John Gruden felt the price was too high, and Malcolm said, "Screw that, Rich! Like we're going to pay it, you know." And he made the trade, and it, it worked out. And um, but that was the kind of leadership that I think Malcolm Blazier had, and and maybe it was different because he was the patriarch, mm-hmm. and now you kind of have this this quasi multi-headed leadership, and Brian and Joel and Ed and Darcy, you know, mm-hmm. who's the one calling the shots, and is there a consensus and you know, right. so is it a situation where they look around the room and they're kind of pointing at the other person? I don't know. I don't know how decisions are made. They're very secretive about about things. They meet with the media once a year for about 10 minutes. It's hard to kind of know what goes on with the inner workings with the Blazers. But again, getting back to this topic, I mean, you know, I, I, and I, I wrote this in the Fab Five. It's like, you know, you do you want Bruce Arians or do you want Arians light, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, I kind of think that they have Arians light this year, and it's a little disappointing. Scott, I, I just, you just blew my mind with something you said there uh, because it's something that I've never heard. Um, and I just want to confirm that I heard you right. Are you telling me that, that they fired Dungy and they had Rich McKay and he tried to bring in Marvin Lewis and then they yeah. basically just sidelined him for that year going into the Super Bowl run and, and that's what happened? Because I've never heard that side of the story. I just knew they got rid yeah. of Dungy and then they went and got Gruden. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Is, wow. is that they, okay. you know, they, they, they asked Rich, okay, Rich, you know, you're the guy. You're the general manager. Go out and get a replacement. And, uh-huh. um, and, and uh, you know, he... Uh, I, I think they wanted Gruden initially. He went out and talked to Gruden, and uh, or not talked to Gruden, but talked to Al Davis. Al Davis wanted a King's ransom. Uh, Rich just said, "Well, there's no way that, that we're going to give up that much. That's just way too much." And so he went and got you know Mark Lewis, um, had Lewis in uh, for a dinner, and was just about ready to hire him, um, and told the Lakers, and they were not happy about it at all. <laughs> Wow. Like Rich, I, what part of we're looking for an offensive-minded head coach? Don't you understand? You know, and and I think that was really kind of the beginning of the end for Rich McKay was when right. they, you know, when, when he went against their orders. Because then then what it did was that you know Malcolm sent Brian and Joel out to interview uh, all these offensive-minded guys. Ralph Friesen, who was mm-hmm. the head coach at, at Maryland, Steve Mariucci was was in close consideration for the job, and then they made one last ditch effort to, to get Gruden, and uh, and they landed him. But um, but yeah, they, they they were not happy with Rich McKay. They they kind of kneecapped him in the process, and rightfully so. Right. You know, if you want an offensive-minded guy, that's the, the orders. It, you know, and you just fired a, a popular mm-hmm. African American defense-minded head coach, and you're bringing in another one. It's like why fire Tony Dungy? Right. <laughs> no, uh, it's just, that's news to I me. Mean, I've just literally never heard that part of the story before. So, yeah. Hey, Scott, uh, Ren here. Um, I got a little pushback for you on your Fab Five, and I, you know, I, I just thought of it sure. sort of when when Brent was talked brought it up to you, and you said the Bruce Arians light, which you know I'm with you. It was it was a big concern i think for everybody but you know we all sort of just went with it uh 
because Bruce Arians is Bruce Arians and he's won wherever he's gone and he's got his coaches yeah. and look at all the experience. So it's like, okay, well, if he says he can fix it, he can fix it. But on the flip side, right. what would you say to people that, you know, through eight games, the Bucks have scored more points than they've ever scored in their 43-year history? I mean, can you really nitpick like three, four plays out of out of eight games and say, you know, you know, that's, you know, that's that's the biggest mistake he's made? Well, you know, I, I list a couple other mistakes in there, and, and one of the things is the secondary is fixed, right? Because, I right. mean, it clearly isn't. Just because you spend three more draft picks on three more defensive backs doesn't mean that it's fixed. And, and that was a big yeah. concern of mine heading in there was, okay, so the veteran guy in the secondary is Vernon Hargraves, the guy who you're very unsure about even wanting to keep for next year and a guy that has not lived up at all to a first-round draft villain. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I, I, I think that was a mistake. And, and again, keep in mind, I did write the Fab Five before they scored 34 points against Seattle. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, that when you look at, at the instances in which, uh, listen, this, this has been an equal opportunity offender um, in Tampa Bay, right? Matt Gay on special teams cost uh, them the Giants uh, win in addition to um, – all of the, the yardage that was given up by this young secondary. Uh, right. The offense was the culprit in London, uh, right, with, with six turnovers. Then you had the turnover on special teams again, right, when they're trying to make a comeback. You know, mm-hmm. Bobo Wilson had the fumble there. Uh, Jameis Winston throws two pick sixes in the 49ers game in week one. That's kind of the difference. The defense played pretty well otherwise. So it's kind of been, yeah, the defense's fault here, and that certainly was the case with Jamel Dean against Seattle. Um, you know, the offense's fault in in Tennessee with, with four turnovers. So uh, it, it's it's not been one side of the ball. The, the secondary is probably the biggest culprit because of its youth and lack of, of turnovers and the fact that, that they've given up a lot of touchdowns, especially in the red zone. But I also look at, at the Buccaneers' red zone offense, and, and um, you know it was at uh, 53, 52% heading into last week's game. And, I mean, the Giants and the Jets had better red zone offenses. And and, and I think that, that when you look at, at the, the balance on this team with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and O.J. Howard, even though the production hasn't been there, the talent is there. And all of the money spent on the offensive line um, whether it's you know good money, bad money, indifferent, whatever, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that that we all kind of thought heading into the season, the offense is going to have to kind of carry the day for this team because of the young secondary and the questions about the pass rush. That you know, answered a little bit with Jack Barrett for sure, but it just does. You know, we've seen so many turnovers on offense. We've seen so many sacks. Last week's game was. Was not that in terms of of the the pass protection, but it was pretty good outside of one one sack that was a blitz up the middle, and outside of Donovan Smith, you know, bumping elbows with Jameis, it was a very untimely turnover. But the offensive line played better. But heading into this this Seattle game, this offensive line was on pace to give up sixty four sacks this year. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a huge amount. So. You know, I, again, um, I'm not saying that Byron Leftwich has done an awful job. It's just that I think Tarians could have done a better job. Because I, I think 
you know, and, and I said this on, on the podcast and, and, you know, maybe I'll ask for some point in time. Not that I'm afraid to ask him. It's just, I know what the answer is going to be, but, it, and it's a little bit unfair too, but, but seriously, I feel like, like saying, Bruce, who's the better play caller for Byron Leftwich? Right? right. I mean, the answer is obviously him. He's got more experience and all that. And then if, if the answer is you, Bruce, then why aren't you calling the plays? Well, it's, it's his team. It's his decision. Mm-hmm. And he wants Byron in that role. And I'm not the head coach of this team. I'm just a reporter. So it doesn't really matter what I think or say. The decision's been made. But it's my obligation to our readers to point out, you know, what I feel are mistakes and also recognize what's working and what's good. And it hadn't been all bad for Byron, but I just think that, that there's been a couple of those play calls, a couple of turnovers in the red zone, especially where if Bruce is calling the shots, maybe, who knows, in an alternate universe, maybe they win two more games. Right, you know, it's it's very easily that, that they could have, uh, you know, play here, play there, but you know, I'd always argue like if you're an eight and eight team, like that's what happens. You know, you have the, you know, you have the Jets and the and the Giants and and the Dolphins and the Bengals this year, and you know they're just not going to win a lot of games. And then you got the Packers and the Patriots and you know uh, the Saints, and they're going to win a lot of games. Everyone else is in the middle, and it's it's those one or two games that put you from eight and eight to either you know six and ten or or ten and six, and that's. That's kind of yeah. where, we are, where we are right now. But, you know, speaking of the of, of last one for me, at least, about this play calling, we'll start getting to the players. Uh, how often do you think there's sort of a disagreement or a veto by Bruce Arians? And the reason I ask this, like, you know, I, I've only watched, and well, you know, there's only been two games at Ray J, but I've only watched TV coverages mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. But here's an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, halftime the Seattle game, come out, Seattle gets the ball, Bucks stop them, we get the ball, coming out of, coming out of, of halftime, they didn't get the play in fast enough. Like they had to call timeout yeah. the first time they touched the yeah. ball of the first half. Then yeah. they run second down, or I guess they, they they actually run first down. And then on second down, the play doesn't get in quick enough. There's a delay of game, but they, you know, and Donovan Smith moved after one or two seconds past double zeros had gone, and they called him for a false start. But, you know, it was going to be either or one of the two. So you're coming out of halftime, and you've called two plays, and one time you had to call a timeout, and the other one you got a penalty for delay of game. It, what, what that signals to me is that there's this, you know, Byron Leftwich, B.A. Jameis Winston conference call going on. Um, have you heard anything about how many plays he's actually vetoing, or do you see that as a problem? Because when I watch the games, it seems like Jameis is under the gun to get the ball snapped all the time. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes there's two plays called, and then the quarterback has the, the ability to get the team in the right play. Uh, and that's not uncommon at the NFL level. Um, and I, I don't know how much of it is. Is Byron just like taking his time, trying to find the right play? What do you, what do you want to do? Or is it he and BA having a quick five to 10 second conversation about it where Byron's, you know, getting second guessed or vetoed or getting input from Bruce? You know, where maybe Byron's getting ready to call a run. He's like, I want to pass here. I want a shot. And then he's going to flip the card. Okay. Let's do, you know, like that. Right. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what the, the number um, of times that happens is. I do know just from watching the, the TV broadcast, because Trevor was up at that game. Um, but watching the TV broadcast, there was a sideline instance where Bruce was, because he stands right next to, to Byron. He was yelling and screaming at Byron about something. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know if he was, if he was overruling the play call or really questioning the play call or not getting it in on time. But Bruce was hot uh, during one instance for sure. And obviously we don't have cameras trained on Bruce Arians 
for the entire game. But it's just what the network wants to show us. And so, um, you know, and, and we'll see. I mean, when, when the stretch of home games comes, we might have a little bit more eyes on Bruce there, of course, uh, from the vantage point of the press box on the Bucks sidelines, you, you only see the backs of the players. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, it's, it, listen, if Bruce is calling the plays, there's no discussion because he's the play caller and what he says goes. And, um, and, and, and that, that does allow for a smoother running ship. At the same time, he's committed to grooming Byron and having him as a, his protege in this role. And, you know, that's what the head coach wanted to do. So that's what's right. happening. Right. Um, well, I'm going to stick a little bit to coaching, but I'm actually going to go to the Seattle game. And, you know, you mentioned the secondary. Uh, you know, I've been all over the secondary since the Rams game. Everyone was, <laughs> you know, up in arms about, oh, yay, we won. Look at us. We would. And I'm like, you gave up 40. You had to score the most points ever as a franchise just to get, like, they had the ball at midfield going in to tie the game. You know, and you had four turnovers and you, you know, it was so I'm like, what what is going on with the secondary? Uh, and they didn't really look good against Cam the week before either, but he was just playing with, you know, one arm and one leg. Uh, we go to the Seattle game. Carlton Davis gets hurt. They put in Jamal Dean. He's having a rough day, to say the least. Did Todd Bowles just leave that, hang that kid out to dry by not at least going to calling at least some more zone or giving him some help over the top. I mean, it almost felt like it was a Mike Smith. Like, this is the game plan we have planned. You're going to run yeah, it. I, 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 from what I understand, um, they were really concerned about giving Russell Wilson time because what, what, has, what has truthfully killed the Buccaneers, whether it's been man or zone, uh, has been teams going with max protect schemes quarterbacks just having five, six seconds to throw the ball. And I don't care, you know, if you're Patrick Peterson or Champ Bailey back in the day or Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. I mean, you give a quarterback six seconds. Um, you know, they say that playing defensive back in the NFL is half of a rodeo, right? When you're on a bull, you're supposed to hang on for eight seconds. Okay. Well, you got four seconds to hang on um, in in the NFL as a defensive back. After right. four seconds, you're getting the bull. Uh, I don't care who you're covering. You're going to get open at five, six, seven seconds. And max protect schemes are designed for quarterbacks at maximum protection. And and so I, I think what happened was was they were in man because they wanted to put pressure on Russell Wilson to force quicker throws. And they also had they were forced to go with more pressure for Russell Wilson um, because they lost both defense or I should say outside linebackers Carl Nassib early with the groin injury and uh, Anthony Nelson. So they were out of their four outside linebackers, they were down to two. Now the good news is, is it was their best two in JPP and in Shaq Barrett. The problem is those guys are pass rushers and they both played 70 some snaps and they got worn out in the fourth quarter. They just ran out of gas. That's why you saw the sacks in the second and the third quarter, but not in the fourth quarter because they were gassed. The other thing is, is you don't want to go full blitz on Russell Wilson because if you do, you create a running lane. And that's what happened on that 21 yard run by Wilson mm-hmm. on that last drive was they did bring the house because they, Dean was getting gassed himself. And it, you know, Russell Wilson did Russell Wilson things. If you notice what they did, uh, usually for most of the game was spy him with Devin White that kept him in the pocket. Yeah. But at the same time, they just found Dean and whoever it was on him. Was it Lockett? Was it Metcalf? Whoever, whoever was on Dean, that's where they went with the ball. And you just had an unfortunate real 
trial by fire situation uh, with a defensive back that just was not ready to play a full game. No, and that sort of bothers me. Like I know someone's everyone's given a pass. He's a rookie, but I mean he's been conditioning just as long as everybody else. I mean he just looked like you know he was running in sand, and and, it, and it, you know it looked like it started in the second quarter. Like Jamal Dean's supposed to be this sprinter guy. You know yeah. you see him, you see his body, and you're like, okay, I understand why Ohio State. And Auburn both wanted this guy in his their defensive backfield. You know, he's yeah. he's like a wide receiver's body that runs track speed. But man, yeah, dude, well, you know, like, it's it's kind of funny because he's kind of high cut, you know, and and um, he's he's got some pretty good straight line speed. He's not the most fluid guy. I think um, Sean Murphy Bunting is a lot more fluid of an athlete than Dean is. Dean is more straight line. Um, but I think the thing with Dean is, and we saw this in training camp, um, there were times where he would get gassed. So you can be fast in a 40 yard dash, right? Like you can, um, you know, you, you can sprint, but, uh, did Jamel Dean have to do, you know, 40 sprints? You now he right. did like two of the combine, right? That's it. And some people just don't have a lot of endurance. Now I'll tell you this right now, Simeon Rice, out of my 24 years of covering all of the Buccaneer players, mm-hmm. there was not a better athlete than Simeon Rice. I mean, not even close. You know, you could say Derek Brooks. I would say Derek Brooks is not even in the class of Simeon Rice. And Derek Brooks is a hell of an athlete. Um, but I'm just telling you, Simeon Rice, I, I would I would see Simeon Rice uh, after, this is back in two days with Gruden out there in Orlando, uh, where there's no breeze, no wind, just mm-hmm. sweltering heat. Um, Simeon Rice, after, after the second two-a-day practice, so that was the afternoon practice, uh, sometimes guys have to do some conditioning across the field, mm-hmm. and you know, that's where they, they run you know, the 53-yard you know, kind of shuttles. They do that and stuff. And, I mean, it, you know, and he would do it with the likes of John Lynch, you know, who's a really good athlete, mm-hmm. you know, Brooks and all that. And Simeon Rice, this is after, you know, four and a half, five hours of practice, He's sprinting like a gazelle, just bounding across the field. And I just, I don't think Simeon Rice ever got tired. And was he fast? Yes. But he was also just built for endurance. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing is I don't know that Jamel Dean is, I think he's fast, but, it, but in short spurts. Uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's one thing, um, you know, to run a 4-3 in the first quarter, but are you running the 4-3 in the fourth quarter, you know? And it's like that's the one thing that made Jerry Rice so impressive is yeah, you know, he was a four five five, four six guy, but he was four six in the first quarter and four six in the fourth quarter. You know, he was well conditioned and uh he was slippery, he ran good routes, got separation, all those things. And and I, I think we, we can see Jamel Dean maybe four three in the in the first quarter and maybe four six in the in the the fourth quarter. That's something that he probably won't get better at conditioning wise until the off season. And that's where you that's why you see NFL players sometimes make the biggest leap from year one to year two, and you're seeing it with Rojo, right? Because because right. you, you're not you're not training for the for the underwear Olympics. You're training for football in your in your second year. You're in an NFL program working with NFL trainers. And, you know, that's why Rojo puts on 20 pounds. He's more powerful. He's got more endurance. It's because he's way better than he was as a rookie. And I think Jamel Dean 
We'll work on some of these conditioning issues, and they'll be much better in year two. Scott, I want to – well, Ren, I want to switch topics. Did you have anything else about the game you specifically wanted to talk about before I switch? I do not. Cool. Um, Scott, I want to ask kind of, I think, about the big elephant in the room that's really overshadowing this entire season. And it's talking about Jameis and what the heck do we do with this guy? We – this season so far, Ren and I – I don't think we're necessarily in exactly the same spot when it comes to Jameis. And I feel like I'm in sort of the spot where I feel like I'm embodying almost the entire Bucked fandom as a whole, like all in the same person. Like, because there's the one half that's ready to jettison Jameis three days ago or three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, everything that they're saying, everything they bring up, they're absolutely right. Turnover machine, uh, you know, uh, making bad decisions, you know, for whatever reason, more turnovers and we keep erratic. losing the games and do what erratic. He's erratic. Right. But then there's the other side that's like, yeah, but I mean, you referenced it earlier, a bunch of sacks and he wins. He puts, he does what he can to put up the points, but the defense, he has no defense to, to help win the games and we're playing from behind all the time. And, you know, uh, yeah, he gets this fumble and, and, and it gets credited to him, but Donovan Smith is hitting his hand or, or Ryan Jensen is throwing the ball in his face when he's not ready or, you know, like, like yeah. w- whatever reason. But you also look at like, look at all his stats and they're just off the charts. And, you know, he, he can play good enough to come and win. And, and I'm kind of sitting here in a spot where I'm going, you're both right. And you're like, I, I see the reasons on, on each side. Here yeah. we sit at the halfway point of the contract year. Um, and, and I've heard you kind of go back and forth on your podcast and in your, in your articles. And honestly, I don't know which way you're personally leaning, but what, what do you say to me who I think is kind of embodying everybody in Bucks fandom all in one person about what the heck is going on with Jameis and, and what should we do about him? You know, um, I kind of liken him a little bit to, to Akib Tlaib, right? Akib Tlaib has gotten a Super Bowl ring by now, mm-hmm. been to some Pro Bowls. You know, he's played like a caliber cornerback. Mm-hmm. He did that even in Tampa, you know, for a minute. And then he did it out in Denver and the Patriots. You know, he's, he's been around the league. He's with the, he was with the Rams, now he's with the Dolphins on IR. But, you know, he stayed in the league because of his talent. Mm-hmm. But why did the Bucks get rid of him? Why why has he not been a franchise player for some team? Why does he keep having to go from team to team? Because of the off-field things, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you know, he he kind of just attracts problems right? with his lifestyle. He hangs out in Dallas. He doesn't hang out with a great crowd. He shot himself. You know, he's been in altercations. It's just wherever he goes, even whether it's maybe not his, his fault, it's mm-hmm. just he's got a, a black cloud or some bad mojo around him. And I think that that's almost the thing with Jameis Winston is is it's like yeah the fumble wasn't his fault but it's on his football card you know right the the, the four the four mistakes at Tennessee weren't his fault per se the two interceptions mm-hmm. you know and uh, uh, the, the the fumble the shotgun snap and, and then the you know the, the fumble mm-hmm. but but they're on his football card mm-hmm. and that's why I said this is a guy that that is is far in a way the leader. For turnovers, I mean by a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got 91, I believe now, or 92. Okay, fine. At this point, take away 30. Take away a third of them and say uh, receivers running wrong routes. Um, you know, uh, tight end missed a block and it was a sack fumble as a result. Or Donovan Smith messed up and defensive end came around and knocked the hand, uh, his hand down. And the ball came out. Say what you want. Take take a, a third of his turnovers away. Mm-hmm. He still has 60 turnovers which still is, if it's not the league lead, it's 
probably number two or three. And there's just something about Jameis, okay? And you can go back to the his only loss in, in college, right? Mm-hmm. He goes back to throw the, the ball against Oregon and slips, and the ball goes up, and it's a scoop and score for the Ducks, and that's all she wrote. And it's like, I love Jameis, great guy, great kid, wants to win, wants to be the franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Trent Dilfer in the fact that Trent wanted it so bad. But it just it just didn't happen, you know, for Trent. It's just something he just wasn't what you thought you were gonna get when that first round pick out of Fresno State, that prolific passer just just wasn't the guy that mm-hmm. you that you hoped you were gonna get. And with Jameis, the turnovers were a big deal in college and a big deal since his first pass in the NFL, which was a pick six. Right. Um the two pick sixes that were just ugh, awful in the, the 49ers game as a fifth-year veteran in your contract year, and I just I don't I don't it's going to get any better. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'll say this: the, the the one thing where I've compared Jameis favorably is I think that he's like Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. Brett Favre was a guy that threw an, an ungodly amount of interceptions. But I think if you go back and look at most of his years with the Packers, he would give you four touchdowns and two interceptions. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and that's why Ron Wolf and and Mike Holmgren said, "God, this kid is it's fantastic!" Or, "Holy crap!" It's like you know, it, it, we're, we're like minus two in the turnover ratio because of him every game. That's why they had to go out and get a Reggie White. That's mm-hmm. why they had to, to draft a Leroy Butler and really build up that Green Bay defense. They had to get those two interceptions back on defense. And once they once Green Bay had that really good defense, then <laughs> then you didn't mind those two interceptions because Brett was going to give you four touchdowns. And I think that's Seamus Winston. I think he's a four-touchdown, two-interception kind of guy who's got a couple of plunkers. But if he can get those plunkers like the London game out of his system, I think you could live with that if your defense was veteran enough to get some takeaways. But that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, when when the defense gets takeaways, he beats Rams. When mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, and it has zero interceptions over the past three games. You know, and yeah. what would one interception do in, in the Tennessee game? Uh, what would one interception do of Russell Wilson last week? Uh, what would one interception? Uh, listen, this team was minus six in the turnover margin in London, and they still lost by only 11 points. Mm-hmm. Honestly, guys, if, if, if the Bucks are minus three, they probably win the game, as crazy yeah. as that sounds. Mm-hmm. But... But the defense is not is not helping Jameis out by getting the the turnovers and the takeaways, and therefore it's a lot of pressure on him. And those those um, you know those two interceptions he throws, the interception and the fumble. Well, at the end of the day, then you know Terrians says, "Well, we were minus two in the, in the turnover margin, and that's because they were both on the quarterback and and didn't have any help on the defensive side." And it's right. unfortunate, but. But without that defense, I don't think you can win with Jameis because that's who he is. He's a turnover machine. Yeah, you know, like Brent said, it's uh, <laughs> it's hard to argue. Right? Yeah, no, no, it's right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's because I, I mean, Scott. Like, I feel like that's that's right back to where we are. Of like, yeah, he's a turnover machine. He's going to throw interceptions. There's going to be lost fumbles. There's going to be whatever. Whether it's his fault or not, they're just going to be there. But he's also going to score, and sometimes he's going to have to score the same touchdown multiple times in a row before it actually counts yeah. and if he's I, not I getting and if he's not getting the help from the defense then what the hell i mean you know he's always going to be playing from behind or not always but a lot of the time he's going to be playing from behind and things like that are going to happen and if there was a defense even with the turnovers we'd still win but there's not yeah. and so you know it's i don't but we don't have the defense 
<laughs> but we're on the defense. And, 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 so, and so, so therefore, that's the thing. It's like, but how quickly can you get some playmakers? Like, you know, and, and I was talking with Mark Cook about this the other day. I said the Bucks are in a real quandary, right? I mean, Sean Murphy Bunting has made some strides. Mm-hmm. The fact that his name wasn't called that much on Sunday is a good thing. His guy was covered. Right. And right. Uh, he was probably the best best cornerback in the field. I think even Bruce even said that um, in his press conference yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe you got one there. Carlton Davis uh, cannot catch an interception legally to save his <laughs> life. And I like the guy. Physical, he competes, but he, it seems like he's always an inch away mm-hmm. from making a play. He reminds me a lot of Brian Kelly. Now, it mm-hmm. took Brian Kelly four years to become Brian Kelly, and when he became Brian Kelly in uh, in 2002, which was I think was was his fifth year, really. I mean, he he had a pretty good year the year before, but in 2002, he led the NFC with eight interceptions. Because Rondé Barber led the team with 10 interceptions, actually led the entire league with 10 interceptions the year before. So everyone's like, we're not throwing to Rondé Barber anymore. Right. Uh, we're going to throw to Brian Kelly. And Brian Kelly finally started making teams pay. But he was he was an older guy that had gone through the, the trial by fire. I remember, I mean, uh, Rams scored one touchdown in the, the 1999 NFC Championship game, and it was Ricky Prohl over Brian Kelly. And it's because Brian Kelly was 5'11". If Brian Kelly was six feet tall, that one inch, he breaks up the pass. That's just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But uh, Rondé Barber was an awful cornerback in 1997. I mean, you think... Jamil Dean had an awful game. You put mm-hmm. you put the rookie version of Rondé Barber out there, and it's not any better against uh, DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett. Mm-hmm. So, for for me, as I as I sit there and look at it, it's like, well, are are they going to? Oh, how long is it going to take Carlton Davis to become the guy? Is he going to become the guy? Is mm-hmm. Vernon Hargraves as good as he's going to get? Um, should they give him that fifth year option and give him one more year? Is Jamil Dean is he is he going to? You know, get better and, and play better. Is Sean Murphy Bunting? Is he starting caliber? Or is he more just a nickel guy? We don't know. Um, the Bucks didn't know about Barber and Kelly until years later. Right. And, and the thing is, is if you roll the dice and you wait, you hope they develop and they don't, like this team kind of has its Vernon Hargraves, then your your secondary is going to continue to suck. Right. Uh, it's always better when you got a, a rookie that just comes out like Donnie Abraham as a third-round pick at East Tennessee State and gets five interceptions, that's the Bucks rookie record, and you know gets his first pick um, on Sunday night TNT uh, against John Elway in Mile High Stadium, and he's the Iceman because he's, he's cool as a veteran, you know? That's easy. Like, that's great. Everybody wants that rookie to come out and say, oh, gosh, we got a, a cornerback for the next five, six, eight years, whatever. But that didn't always happen. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen any of these guys, Hargraves, uh, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, or Jamel Dean look anywhere close to Donnie Abraham yet. And is it going to happen? And if so, when? And if so, who and how many? Yeah, that's that's a scary part, you know, for the Buccaneers. And, you know, we've talked, it is. And I've talked about, yeah, we've talked about it a bunch of times. It's like, I mean, even going to last year's draft, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I called, you know, three DBs on day two because I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did say, like, who's going to play corner for this team? I mean, you know, even before going into that draft, with all the draft capital, MJ Stewart and uh, Whitehead and, you know, Carlton Davis here, we had MJ here and you had Ryan Smith, like none of them have had good years. 
Like some of them had, oh, I can see some promise, but none of them had like, oh, I got snubbed from the Pro Bowl type years or somebody gets hurt in the Pro Bowl or drops out. It's like, oh, you know, you know, this Buccaneer defensive back should slide in there. That that seems like it's fair. Like none of them have. So and right. then you bring yeah. three more in and Bunting looks lost, but he's had a nice progression, you know, be able to get in a little bit, getting at nickel, then starting at nickel. Now he seems he's starting outside and he seems like, you know, he had a good game in Seattle and we're hoping Dean becomes the same thing and we're hoping like you said, Carlton Davis can, you know, I think the NFL's got it out for him for some reason. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I barely think his, his pass interference calls our pass interference. That's just me. I'm a biased fan. It doesn't matter. But even, and then Justin Evans and then Whitehead, who's great against the run, you know, he plays the yeah. run like, like a middle linebacker. But yeah. his coverage isn't great. Right. You He's know, 5'10", Mike, Edwards, you know. <laughs> yeah, Mike Edwards is still a rookie. So you got like seven, eight picks back there. And and the best yeah. you can say about any of them is, meh, we'll see. It's scary. Yeah. yeah. It's and scary. you know what, too? It, it's it's like you're a general manager and you're crossing your fingers and you're like, um, if, if I go out and I get a veteran guy, um, you know, is he going to be a good veteran guy or is he going to be like, um, uh, like, like a, uh, what was his name? Eric. That's the guy from the Lions uh, that, that Dominic brought in. I can't remember his name. Um, I, I want to say Eric Davis. It's not Eric Davis. But, I mean, it just he just was a bust, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the problem with free agency is, is you know, are, are you going to get a guy that's going to buy in and be a good corner? Um, uh, and, and then, yeah, yeah right. And, and, uh, and then if you're doing that, then he's starting. And now you got a log jam at, at your young corners and you're not going to, those guys aren't going to develop sitting on the bench. And so is there a guy that should be getting playing time and developing, but you got a veteran out there and you know, it, it's, it's a conundrum. You know, I thought, I thought Jason might roll the dice with Alex Kappa by not getting an, another more starting caliber guard other than Earl Watford, who is a serviceable backup. And, and then also not getting another running back and banking on Rojo. And I think Rojo has really proven Jason Light right that he is a credible NFL running back. I have no idea what his ceiling is. Is he, you know, an 80 yards per game kind of guy? Can he develop into a 100-yard rusher on a regular basis? Can he be 120 yards per game guy in time? I, I don't know where his ceiling is. Alex Kappa has shown night and day progress from last year. I think the injury... Obviously, it slowed him down just just a bit. Um, you would like for him to get 16 games under his belt, um, but he has shown to be um, better than Kevin Pample and some of the other guys they've, they've had in there, uh, Caleb Beninock. So, you know, you roll the dice if you're Jason Light and, and Kappa, and, and I, I think uh, Rojo have proved him right. The secondary has proved him wrong so far. I think Whitehead has been the best, most consistent guy, but like you said, better against the run than against the pass. Yeah, and, you know, I'm just going to sort of build off what you just said. You know, what a lot of people would ask me, and I'd hear it, you know, you know, they'd, they'd ask you, like, at training camp or other people on other podcasts, you know, surprising there is others besides two, uh, that, <laughs> you know, what, like, what's the biggest question mark for the Buccaneers, you know, going into this year? And the always easy answer was Jameis. But, you know, for me, I felt like the biggest question was how many question marks there were. And I still yeah. feel, and how disappointing that the two and six and the Giants game you know and then the way Jameis played in two games and and you know how you know we gave away the Tennessee game and and gosh you know we played really well against the Seahawks you know obviously these first eight games hasn't gone as well as as any Bucks fans wanted but if you look at it I think this coaching staff has delivered on their promises more
more than they've broken, you know, mm-hmm. with Rojo and Kappa. And they kept telling us Chris Godwin's going to be the, you know, the next coming yeah. of Jesus Christ. And he is, you know, yeah. uh, like, like I said, Kappa worked out, you know, Jameis, I'm a little, I think Jameis gets another shot no matter what. He's only eight games in. I think he's playing some of his best football he's ever played in a brand new offense. And yes, he's still going to have Jameis games, but you know, I'm hoping that he finally gets out of that. I have no proof of it. I don't know. But then mm-hmm. the, along the defensive line, we're like, where are we going to get the pass rush from? Well, I mean, you can't really credit, you know, Jason Light for finding Shaq Barrett, but you got to. But, you know, 10 sacks just sort of fell in his lap. But, you know, Nassib's been a fine. Nacho's been a fine. Via Vea has is playing Pro Bowl, all pro type of football. He's turning into yeah. the player that, that you talked about when they drafted him. Um, You know, once Devin White got healthy, I mean, come on. Like, if we would have won that Seattle game, it would have been a Devin White love fest all over the national media. He <laughs> yeah. ran that man down. I mean, yeah. he's a linebacker yeah, he really in a knee brace. I mean, that yeah. was phenomenal. 12 tackles. His air- arrow is trending straight up. And then again, you get to the secondary. So it's like the secondary and OJ Howard are two, are like the only two things they haven't delivered on, but I feel like they've delivered on like so many more. So after all that long explanation, halfway point, what do you give Bruce Arians and his coaching staff? Give him a letter grade, you know? Well, I, uh, that's, that's really tough because I'm a, I'm a yeah. results based and to an right. result, and mm-hmm. and so the the leather race isn't going to be great. But I will I will say this: um, Bruce Arians has not thrown any interceptions, nor has he thrown touchdown passes, nor has he missed tackles or made tackles mm-hmm. or missed field goals or or made field goals. Uh, coaches can only try to develop players and put them in the best positions to win. Have the coaches been perfect? Absolutely not. Um, sure, there's play calls that left Arians and Bulls would love to have back. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, uh, shotgun snaps that are, that are from veteran centers to veteran quarterback in the face and uh, veteran receiver running into a running back uh, oh, yeah, at the, the four-yard line. I, I mean, some of this stuff is on the players, right? right. Uh, Chris Godwin not finishing his route, Rashad Perriman not finishing his route, uh, going to the middle of the field, and Winston throwing you know, two picks right to Tennessee Titan players. Those are on the players. And and so I, what I've said, and I said this, I think, on the podcast and also on my appearances on WDAE, the two things that have to happen down the stretch have to happen. Number one, uh, the Bucks have got to stop beating themselves. The, the right. team has got to learn how to win. And, and um, you know, the first rule of football, don't beat yourself. Eliminate turnovers, especially. And that's the one thing where this team has to grow up. And... And sometimes that means playing perfect football because uh, if you, you look at, at the, the top teams, the, the Saints, the Ravens, the Patriots, the 49ers, they don't beat themselves. They just yeah. don't. Um, and they've got very few turnovers, penalties, et cetera, and um, uh, that, that's the key. This team is its own worst enemy. And, and I think where the coaching staff has been successful is where are the blowout losses? I mean, the, right, the biggest right, margin yeah. of defeat. Yep, we've talked about the that. The biggest yeah. margin of defeat was 14 points, and Jameis Winston was down seven with, uh, with two minutes left and throws a pick six, and it turns into 14, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the Carolina game in London. Uh, that's an 11-point loss with a minus six turnover margin. In years past, the Buccaneers lose that game by 35 points, the turnover margin like that. Um, uh, the Giants game should have been won. The Titans game should have been won. 
Seahawks game, I think probably should have been one, or you could make a case that, you know, they're right there in all those games. Yeah. Uh, even the Saints game was a seven point margin on the road. Um, you know, the, the, the team just wasn't as sharp as it needed to be. The Saints brought their A game and still only beat the Buccaneers by seven. Granted, Drew Brees wasn't the quarterback, but Teddy Bridgewater played like him in that game. But yet they only lost by seven. So, so to me, the coaching staff um, is getting this team right to the cusp mm-hmm. of winning games, and um, and it's up to the players now to to push this team over the finish line. And that's something that the coaches just can't do. I, I coached youth football for eight years, and and I and I know how helpless it can be from the sidelines sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you call the right you call the right play, and the, the kid messes it up. <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, the coaching staff, I feel, is doing the job of getting this team to the cusp almost every single week. Actually, I would say every single week. And it's just, you know, how bad are the Bucks going to beat themselves this week? Is it going to be by one or two plays or is it going to be by four or five? And until they, they just learn to stop beating themselves, and maybe that happens at home, maybe that this, maybe this, uh, this road stretch being over and having a home stretch now uh, is the turning point. Um, we'll see. I think the other thing the coaching staff has to do is just really use these last eight games and say, you know, what is Jameis Winston? Uh, is he salvageable? Can he be better than, than he was? Can he have a more favorable touchdown to interception ratio over these last eight games? Can he show us in, in a streak of games four or five, can he put four or five really good games in a row together? And because that's what, that's what Pro Bowl caliber quarterbacks do. That's what playoff caliber quarterbacks do. That's what Russell Wilson has done. That's even what Teddy Bridgewater did during his stints as the starter in New Orleans is string together um, really good performances. And that's what Jameis Winston has to do. The, the yo-yo ride, the roller coaster has to stop. It's got to be winning football, winning football, winning football, winning football. Bad game, fine. Bounce back the next week, winning football, winning football, winning football. Yeah, I, I agree. Scott, one last question, and I'm going to get you out of here uh, for tonight. Coming down the stretch here, final eight games, uh, we've heard already that Bruce Arians has named Rojo the, the new starting running back. We saw it this past week. Um, what changes, if any, do you anticipate or have you heard about there at one buck uh, that we can anticipate here over the last, uh, you know, the last eight games, whether it's personnel on the field or the way they're running stuff on the sideline? I really haven't heard anything. Uh, I think that, that was kind of like what everyone's been waiting for is, okay, it's pretty obvious Rojo's a more dynamic back. Mm-hmm. Than than uh, Barber and and what I like about Rojo is is where's the mistakes from this guy? Where's the drop passes? Where's the blowing um, you know pass protection? Where's the fumble? I haven't seen it. I've, I've seen a, a guy that's been really quality. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in terms of running the ball, authority, breaking tackles, slipping tackles, lunging ahead for first downs, scoring touchdowns, and really impressed with the kid. Right. So it's not just what's he done right. A lot of things. But what's he done wrong? Mm-hmm. Not much. Yeah. So I, I think that was a big step. I'm glad to see the Bucks make it. Um, I, I, I don't know from just a personnel standpoint if there's any other immediate changes that I see. I, I think that Sean Murphy Bunting just needs to be on the field the, the whole time, and, and, I, and I think he's going to be. I think we're starting to see that now. I think the other thing maybe is, you know, I thought they were better with Andrew Adams back there. I know they want to give Mike Edwards some playing time. Mm-hmm. Andrew Adams is, is not a bad free safety. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. think that when he's back there, um, they don't give up as many big plays. 
uh, help gets there a little, a little quicker for the cornerbacks because he's a veteran. And I, I like Mike Edwards' potential, and I know he's not going to get any better on the sidelines. But I mean, he, you know, he, you know, he threw a shoulder instead of wrapping up uh, Chris Carson, mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, you know, gave up 30 more yards that Devin White had to had to run to to get him down. It was a 59 yard run. Should have been maybe a 20 yard run uh, at best. And so, I as much as, as this second half of the season might be getting young guys experience. I get that, but I think Andrew Adams is, is a pretty good player. Yeah, he definitely, you know, it, it's, it's, I guess what uh, you like to call glue guys, you know, he's mm-hmm. not going to wow you, but he's always in the right place. And he seems like we know. When yeah. 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 Up, yeah. He's, he's a steady it. Eddie. You know, he's a steady yeah. Eddie. Sometimes you need that. Like I thought Dexter Jackson was a steady Eddie. He, he had a big game against, against, uh, you know, uh, the Raiders in the Super Bowl was the MVP, but you know, uh, rattle me off any other other plays he made during the Super Bowl year. I can't think of any. I covered the team that year every single game. Um, right. But he was a steady Eddie. He didn't give up a lot of plays either, right? And I think mm-hmm. that that you look back at at, uh, at at Adams. He had a three interception game against Cam Newton last year, and you know he he had a, his splash game. But he's pretty much a steady Eddie, and sometimes that's what you need back there. Yeah, um, I'm glad the sort of the questioning went this way because my question deals with personnel too. Has the Brashad Perryman, uh, compens, uh, compensatory pick, uh, has that passed? Do you think they're going to get rid of him if he's here and it's passed? Why is he still on the team? Mm-hmm. And has anyone, can you confirm that Justin Watson's still on the team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Perryman was that uh, blind squirrel that found the nut um, yeah. on Sunday, right? I mean, just right place, right time, lucky, you know, guy. Um, I would, I would cut him. I would get the compensatory pick. Uh, you know, he that was a fluke play. He had a nice kind of over, over the head catch for a first down. Uh, other than that, I mean, he's had plenty of opportunities to make plays and just is not a reliable guy. Um, right. I don't think a lot of Scotty Miller. I don't think that he is the answer at wide receiver. Right. Uh, I don't see the separation. He's a small guy. You know, like I was almost never getting rid of Dexter Jackson because the guy never fought for 50-50 passes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Scotty Miller can't either. He's just he's too small. Yeah. Um, Justin Watson's a bigger guy. He just cannot find a way on the field. And, I mean, you got to keep in mind, Global Wilson was getting playing time ahead of Justin Watson. Scotty I know. Miller getting playing time ahead of Justin Watson. So I, what that tells me is, is Justin Watson just is not an NFL caliber receiver. Um, keep in mind, he came from Penn. It, it's a big step up. He didn't get any playing time on offense last year. And I just, you know, didn't have a great preseason. Struggle with drops. Yeah. And maybe that's continuing in practice. Um, at this point in time, though, if you're not getting production from Scotty Miller, or from Brashad Perriman. You've already cut Bobo Wilson. Um, why not give Justin Watson a shot? What do you have to lose? And the fact that that hasn't happened yet tells me that uh, he's just not, you know, not doing it in practice. And uh, so I, I would get rid of Perriman. Um, I, I think right now Jason Light's probably sweating a little bit, right, because he's got to show some improvement. You know, even if this team goes six and ten, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, he'd love to go as he'd love to go, you know, with a better record, obviously. Uh, but I think at this point, if you go seven and nine, right, it means you've gone five and three down the stretch, where that that might be a tall order um, just to go <laughs> seven and nine. But if you're six and ten, at least you can look the lasers in the eye and say, well, hey, you know, we made some progress. 
we found out about Jameis one way or the other. Uh, you know, year one of Bruce, uh, we, you know, we, we found Shaq Barrett. You know, he's, he's got a little bit of a leg to stand on, but if four and 12 and, you know, five and 11 again, third year in a row, that's not going to make the Blazers happy. And so I, I think, I think Jason might be saying, well, is it worth, is it worth it for me getting rid of Bashar Perriman? I think he has until Saturday to do it to get a compensatory pick, which I believe would be a, a fourth or fifth round pick. Is that worth it, um, or do you keep him and hope that Brashard catches another fluke touchdown or two that actually plays a role in winning you a game that gets you one step closer to a better record than you had last year? Scott, tell us, what is coming up uh, at pewterreport.com? Any sneak peek, maybe into the five, Fab Five this week, or anything else you guys have coming up over there? Well, yeah, we, we have a season awards coming up in this week's SRS Fab Five, because it's, mm-hmm. it's that time. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I, I looked ahead at some of the veteran quarterbacks that are out there that would be options for the Buccaneers. Just in case the Jameis Winston experiment didn't work out, mm-hmm. I've been working on uh, getting some of our readers, uh, you know, familiar with with some of those names. But also, there's some college names too. Buccaneers have a top ten draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important for our readers to know about guys. And, and I think you know, there's a, a, a large segment of, of the Buccaneer fan base that is conditioned to watch college football to to um, start studying the draft in October for unfortunately um, because the season over the last couple of years has ended way too prematurely. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of fans out there that, that don't know who Justin Herbert from Oregon is or Joe Burrow from LSU, um, you know, and, and who Jacob Eason from Washington is, uh, you know, Jake from uh, more of a household name. Mm-hmm. Same with Tua Tagliavoa from, uh, from Alabama. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to have to write the, That's where we're turning. the first round quarterbacks, uh, whether it's this week or next week, Jameis is probably going to have one of those games where it's going to become appropriate for me to, to push that, that uh, study and that data out. And, um, you know, I might hold off on it for another week because he did have a good game, and, and we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, the, the, the best case scenario would be for Jameis to just light it up the second half of the season, have the light bulb come on and stay on, turn the corner, grow up, mature on the field, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But this team has invested so so much into him from a draft pick and a time and a money standpoint that you know hitting the reset button there is just not good. Right. And especially if you have to get a rookie the next year, you're just setting the franchise back. Um, I think even Cleveland, right? I mean, all the hype mm-hmm. with Baker Mayfield last year, and then you know you give defensive coordinators a year to study uh, or an offseason study. Look at Baker Mayfield this year. You know, it just. You know, Daniel Jones looked good against the Buccaneers. Hasn't looked so hot afterwards, right? So, um, rookie quarterbacks are not the answer to, to success, and Bruce Arians wants success now. So, I'm not saying they wouldn't draft their first round quarterback if they punted on Jameis, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went a veteran route, too. All right, well, that was Scott Reynolds of PewterReport.com. Ren, always good to talk to a good friend, Scott Reynolds, over there. Yeah, you know, um, that was a Pewty award-winning type of interview. Yes, yes, you know, it was. Uh, I, I I think it's safe to say that uh, Scott is a little bit jealous that, you know, Trevor's a two-time winner and then uh, – mm-hmm. 
a shock to everyone, uh, Mark Cook somehow pulled out the win last year, right? As media personality, and uh, uh, I think I think Scott was gunning for it, man. Yeah, yeah, Scott, man, and hey, listen, he turned in a, a worthy performance. If you don't know what we're talking about, maybe you're new to the Pewter Cast. One of the kind of I think the hallmarks of this show. It's it's uh, I think honestly my personal favorite thing that we do that's kind of extra is at the end of the year we have an award show and it's actually like a legit we try as much as we can make it a legit <laughs> award show some people think of it more like the dundies but whatever screw you i don't care but like there's actually like little things and we send it to the to the people and it's fan voted we had over thirteen thousand votes come in last year yeah um which was ten thousand more than the year before and it, you know that shows continued to grow so um uh, so be looking for that because that'll certainly be coming up here at the end of the year. It and is the, one of the categories is yes. Uh, well, there's there's Pewtercast Guest of the Year because there's a yeah. handful of them that are related specifically to podcasting. Most of it are things like Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year and Rookie of the Year and things like that. But if you are, are specifically to the podcast because it's real, our award show, Ren. Uh, but there's there's uh, Pewtercast Guest of the Year. There's also uh, Media Personality of the Year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, those would be two that Scott could potentially be up for, uh, if he makes the nomination list. Yes. So because nominations being... are a thing too. <laughs> yes. Yes. To continue being nice to us. <laughs> well, uh, Ren with that, um, pull out just a couple of things that Scott said and, and I, you know, I really appreciated his response, uh, to the question that I had had about like, Okay, I feel like I am all of Buck's fandom wrapped up in one person about Jameis Winston. Right. And I don't know that I that I could have put it into those words until this conversation, honestly, with Scott. But I really feel like that's where I am. Like if I kind of seem wishy-washy or back and forth, it's because I really – I understand it from both sides. And I, I can make an argument for it either way. But um, I, he kind of maybe, at least on the backside of, of coming right off that conversation – I think he makes a really strong point that we would do better if we do move on from Jameis to go with more of a veteran type quarterback uh, rather than really pressing the reset button uh, and getting a, a rookie in here. Because if we do that, that really is like pressing the reset button for years on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At least a year. I mean, even though, you know, there's been the Andrew Lux and there's been the the Ben Roethlisberger's and, mm-hmm. you know, the Ben, the Patrick Mahomes, but he set out a year. Yeah. Uh, there has been guys, uh, RG three, you know, yeah. remember that guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there has been rookie quarterbacks that have come in and taken their teams to the playoffs. Um, you know, Washington gave up a King's ransom to go up and get the guy. So it wasn't right. like they were the worst team in the league. Uh, I think the bucks are sort of in, you know, that Steelers Colts era where, you know, they have pieces in places. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to totally set the reset button, but, um, if you take sort of the John Gruden blueprint where you do have your pieces in places, bring in some guys, you know, your guys mostly, mm-hmm. at least for John Gruden, who was an offense, you know, go, go get a Brad Johnson and, uh, you know, away you go. It's like, right. it, with us scoring this many points and this many weapons, like you don't need like you don't need Aaron Rodgers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For this team, like you don't need Tom Brady, you don't need Patrick Mahomes to be a contender. What you need, and we talked about it a lot, is a de- is a defense. Yeah, you know, and I I think that Bucks fans, I know I certainly would be okay with this, but I think Bucks fans in general 
would be a-okay with a four-touchdown, two-interception per game Jameis as long as it resulted mostly in us winning. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like nobody – you know, unless you just didn't like Jameis Winston as an individual and as a human being, or you're just that against FSU for whatever reason, yeah. this far out, then sure, as long as we're winning, you'd be okay with it. And it is—it's a very real thing to say. I was glad to hear Scott kind of kind of say it as well. Like, you know, it, yes, Jameis is at fault for a lot of things, and yes, there's a lot of things going on around him that aren't his fault that have resulted in us being in this situation. So, yeah, but he still turns the ball over way too much. Sure he does. Sure he does. But, you know, it's it's the, the difference is you say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but the wins aren't there. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that's that that I think is is what it comes back to. But um, yeah, man, in, anything you pulled out from that conversation with Scott? I don't know. Well, we could talk about, you know, the conversation we teased earlier. Um about how they sideline Rich McKay. Yeah, that was and, – and he said that was the, the kind of the beginning of the end for Rich McKay. Like, I just always thought it was because he and John Gruden hated each other, and he just wanted to get away from John Gruden. I didn't no. know there was anything else to it. No, that's who they ended up with. Oh, you mean Rich McKay? Yeah, yeah, Rich, yeah, McKay Rich McKay. McKay yeah, because I remember when, when when Rich McKay left, he winds up going to the, to the Falcons, and it's like, oh, that's one of our division rivals, and how dare he? And then, you know, he – did pretty well with the Falcons there for a lot of years, and you're like, man. <laughs> and he put together a Super Bowl team for us, and you know, got us into a, a, a bit of a pickle there. But I mean, still, he knew what he was doing to to get us to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, you know, so that was an interesting story. Um, you know, I, I think he was was spot on uh, about what happened to Jamel Dean mm-hmm. in the uh, Seattle game. You know, because I was sort of really leaning towards like, hey, man, let's play some zone here or can you get some help or – and I forgot to ask him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Jamel Dean in the third, fourth quarter, you know, running around dragging an anchor. Like, like where's Ryan Smith? Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> he can't do any worse. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so – but uh, when he explained about what the Bucks were trying to do was because people were max protecting against them and, and you know, they they felt that was the best way for them to have any chance of stopping Russell Wilson was getting to him. And if they didn't blitz a lot and leave him man-on-man man on the backside, you know, they, they thought it was going to be even worse. So it was sort of pick your poison. Um with those guys, especially, you know, when Carlton Davis went down. So, um, yeah, so I feel, I feel a little bit better about Todd Bowles, you know, not sort of, you know, leaving that young man out to dry and BA like right away was, you know, you know, talking about how much he fought and, you know, had some good plays and bad plays. And Mm -hmm. he was, you know, he was hugging him up like right away. Right. You know, it's like, look, man, we, we put you in, like, I haven't seen anybody put in a, a, a situation like that, since uh, Cutter put Jamison after, you know, the Bears were up like 42 to nothing. <laughs> right. You know, and he puts Jamison halfway through the third, and it's like, hey, I know you haven't played all year. Uh, go win the game. Go do something, right? <laughs> yeah. Go win the game for us. You're only down seven touchdowns. Yeah, it it it, it was there. So, um, well, that was Scott Reynolds. Uh, we don't have to recap the whole conversation. It's right no. there. If you want to listen to it again, hit rewind. Or 
drag the little cursor thing you about, whatever it is you do in your podcasting app. Uh, but you can do that. But I would like to say thanks to, once again to Scott Reynolds, guys. Uh, if you're not checking out pewterreport.com, I'm not really sure why you wouldn't be. Uh, make sure you follow them on Twitter as well, uh, at Pewter Report. Uh, you can check out everything that they have going on there. The whole team, really, uh, Mark and Trev and um, Matt and Grizz and, and all those guys over there, and even some of the people that never really write articles. We've gotten to meet some of the other staffers there at Pewter Report, and uh, j- just a great group of guys over there. So, um, Best yeah. original content on the Bucks, hand down. There you go. I would not disagree with you on that. So, all right, Ren. Well, that is going to do it for us for this episode. We're going to be back in just a just a, a little bit with um, kind of our I guess our fan interaction uh, podcast for the week. Still calling it that. Still trying to figure <laughs> out a new name. I, I don't. know. We'll get there. It, it, it'll dawn on me one night, probably about two thirty in the morning, laying in bed. Um, but you know, th- this will be the one where we talk about. We've gotten some. Uh, we've gotten some reviews in. We've gotten some comments, some emails, and things like that. It's really where we turn the show back over to you guys, our fellow fans, um, and talk about what you guys want to talk about. And then later on this week, don't forget our Buck in the News show is coming out as well. Uh, that will be coming up at the end of the work week for the. Buccaneers. We're going to let them get through everything, and we'll recap all the headlines that came out this week. We're going to take a look at the roster moves, and Ren, there's already been uh, some pretty uh, key roster moves, I think, and there's probably still more to come over the course of this week, so uh, we'll be checking that out as we turn towards this Cardinals game, and then we'll be back on Sunday, obviously, with our instant cast Sunday night, 10 o'clock. We'll be going live on YouTube. You guys can make sure you follow us there, so uh, until then, there's lots of stuff going on, but Ren, why don't you tell the folks where they can get a hold of you out there on the internet? Best place to find me is on Twitter at Rendax, R-E-N underscore D-A-X-T. That's R-E-N underscore D-A-X-T. I'm always down to talk Buccaneers football. And if you guys want to get in touch with me, you can find me at Brent Allen Live across all the social medias. And I am on Twitter and on Facebook with the PewterCast accounts. That's at the PewterCast. You can find us there. Send us in emails if you'd like to send those in. We would be more than happy to receive those. We'll read them on an upcoming episode of the PewterCast. You can send those to the PewterCast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us for this week. Like I said, we'll be back real soon with that fan interaction, whatever we're going to call it, show. But until then, guys, we'll close the show out. As always, go Bucks.